0: Hey folks and welcome back to the Blue Light podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light and this is the place to learn all you need to know about what's current in the police recruitment process, both in the United Kingdom and across the world, because I know so many of you listen to the podcast from all over the globe. and That's great to hear from you, uh, particularly those of you from Australia who've been in touch with with me this week. Fantastic to have you on board. So I'm going to cover two things this evening. Uh, one of the, might be in the morning, actually, when you're listening to this, but for me, it's in the evening. Uh, one of the things I'm going to talk to you about is... Actually, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just going to read it from the Facebook page where I saw it. So it's one of the Blue Light alumni, someone who's been successful in the recruitment process, who copied and... I think they copied and adapted it and pasted it into their Facebook page. Because I've seen it from someone who is a paramedic as well, and it's been adapted for what they do and it's very much like a tale from the front line so please forgive me if you've read this before I'm going to read it to you because it really struck me as something that you know it really touched me in a way that probably brought back lots of memories from sort of 28 years worth of policing and uh, after that I'm going to talk to you about change yeah change because this is something that you need to demonstrate that your capability and willingness to change And having seen some of the responses on some of the things I've seen on Twitter and Facebook just recently, I'm not sure whether some people who are thinking about applying to the police or actually serving officers are actually embracing the sort of change that they need to embrace. Sounds a bit serious, that, doesn't it? But hopefully it will help you in your preparation to become a police officer. So first of all, um, it's like a little poem, this. So let me know what you think. Nobody taught us how to sit an 86-year-old gentleman down to tell him his wife of 65 years has died in her sleep, or how to watch them as I break the earth-shattering news that would change his life forever. Nobody taught us how to accept a torrent of abuse from a complete stranger just because they've been drinking all day and wanted to lift home. Nobody taught us how to reason with the aggressive person I've just met dealing with mental health issues. Nobody taught us how to talk to someone so depressed that they've just slit their own wrists, panicked and called for help or how to respond when they turned to me and said I can't even get suicide right. Nobody taught us how to bite our tongues when we go two hours over my finish time to help someone with the crime they reported. Nobody taught us how to accept that we would miss out on things other people take for granted. Birthdays. Christmas Day. Meals at normal times of the day. And sleep. Nobody taught us how to hold hands with a dying person as they take their last breath. And how to hold back the tears because it's not my grief. Nobody taught us how to feel when you come face to face with a knife man who's just stabbed his wife and is covered in her blood. Nobody taught us how to act when a person spits at us out the blue during a global pandemic. Working for the 999 services is more than just swooping in and saving lives and catching criminals. It's about dealing with the most unique, challenging experiences and just going home at the end of the shift alive and being asked, how was your day? And replying, fine, thanks. It's about constantly giving a bit of yourself to every person because although it's our fifth job of the day, it could be their first experience of anything like this. It's about about the bits that nobody taught us. How it's about providing reassurance to a 90-year-old lady who's been burgled whilst unable to move from her chair, and despite all the shock, she turns you and says, Well, thank you. How are you? It's about a hug that you give someone on Christmas Day because they haven't spoken to anyone for days. They have no relatives or companions. But you brightened up their day just by being there. It's about climbing in the car next to someone after an RTC and saying don't worry, we'll have you out of here in just a moment. It's about knowing the fact that we couldn't attend to the dying man who's just been stabbed because we were dealing with a drunk who then assaulted one of us and we just pray that someone gets there in time to help him and catch you did it. It's about everything that we do that the media doesn't publicise. Despite all the training we have some things You just don't get taught. There you go. What do you think of that? I really like that. And I know it's kind of doing the rounds on the interweb, but it got me thinking about a lot of the things I've dealt with in the past. All sorts of flashbacks. Times when I've faced an angry person with a knife. The times when I've come across people covered in blood. The times when I've seen the dead bodies. The times when I've seen the grief, the tears the jip, jip, jip of experiencing all of that on a daily basis. You know, any police officer who retires after a few decades and says that they've not gone home and cried and not known why, or cried and they've actually known why, is either a liar or a psychopath or both. Because the job does affect you. And some of these things are things that you just can't be prepared for at training school. But that's what makes the job so special. Because you've got the honour and the privilege of carrying out this role on behalf of the people who can't look after themselves or look out for themselves at that particular moment in their life. I think there's something very special about being a police officer. And that kind of captured it. And the last line kind of got me thinking a little bit, which is the second part of this podcast, because it talked about everything we do that the media doesn't publicise. Now, the media has been publicising a lot of stuff recently. You know, on Twitter, on a daily basis, there's never a day that goes by without the police being under some form of scrutiny. And I, I don't think this is a new thing. You know, I experienced it in the 1980s, the 90s, the noughties, over the past decade. And it's certainly going to continue. It's just a little bit more visible now. And, and people have access to social media and they have access to more news feeds and there's Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and... YouTube and just about every way of publicising what the police do or don't do. Now, this is where I go on to change. So, just recently there's been the news from the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime for London and from the Commissioner of the Met that the police in the London area, Metropolitan Police, are setting themselves a target of... 40% representation of black, Asian, minority, ethnic individuals in their recruitment drive. Because they believe, they absolutely believe that they've got this one and only chance now, especially during the 20,000 uplift, to balance out the force, to ensure that it, well, ensure they do all they can that's reasonable to ensure that the force accurately reflects the communities that it's a part of. Because at the moment it doesn't, and it's way off. I mean, way off. So I think there's something here about legitimacy, and I would have hoped that no one would have argued with that as a concept, that actually having a police service that completely and utterly represents the communities that it's a part of is a good thing, and this is what we should be working towards. Now, I posted some of this stuff on Twitter and Facebook, and when I looked at some of the responses on Facebook, okay, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but you would have thought I'd cancel Christmas or something. You know, it was like heresy. You know, how could you talk about this? It's discrimination this, it's discrimination the other. And it just got me thinking a little bit about, you know, if some of these people are serving officers or people who want to join the police, to what extent are they enabling change? To what extent are they accepting that they are the change agents? You know, the service needs to change. It needed to change in 1985 when I joined. And it continued to change. And it's going to continue to change and change and change. It's the one constant. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, change is the only constant. Um, And just today, you know, I posted some stuff about um, body-worn cameras and greater scrutiny of what's on the body-worn cameras, because at the moment that's a big thing as well. And I think it's a deputy chief constable, Rob Beckley, who's attached to the Home Office at the moment, has suggested that the police should give access to community scrutiny panels um, video footage of police officers conducting stop and searches making arrests uh, when they're using force and that's been a bit of a kick off as well, you know, people have kicked off about that about, you know, these community panels they're not going to understand, they don't know anything about policing um, you know, what do they know but I remember this big debate when independent uh, custody visitors was introduced so I was a custody officer for 18 months, which meant that I managed, I was responsible for um, the booking in and the authorising of detention and the welfare of everyone in the prison, you know, not prisons, the cell complex. And it's a very, very highly responsible job. And you would have thought the last thing that I would have wanted would be independent scrutiny coming in at the drop of a hat. Because when they press that button at the inquiry office, um, you know, we're the independent custody visitors, they expected immediate access. And they'd get a bit nervous and jumpy if they were made waiting for half an hour because they'd start suspecting that we're sort of trying to cover something up or hide something. So I did everything I could to welcome them in as fast as possible and enable their visit to be all they wanted it to be. And it was really, really useful, (laughs) really useful, because they would sometimes point out some things that hadn't realised. Uh, because the people in the cells would talk to them in a different way and they would express their concerns in a different way. So it was actually really, really useful. And, you know, what exactly is it that the police are trying to hide? You know, what are they trying to hide? You know, the part of the, uh, the competency and values framework and the code of ethics is about the police being transparent and accountable. And indeed, if we go all the way back to Robert Peel in 1829, he held the same principles, you know, this is nothing new. It's just what's new is that how we actually do it. So community scrutiny panels, um, viewing the use of body-worn camera, this is change, folks. And actually, for some people, they may say that, actually, that's not innovative. You should have been doing that years ago. And perhaps we should have been. Um, and one of the things I'm also seeing is uh, quite a few senior officers actually coming out and saying, if you want to come and see what we do, come and join us. Come and join us as observers and I think there's a lot of merit in this because it can help take some of the uh, steam out of the anger that may be in a community about the police and some of that anger might be unfounded and some of it might be founded. But what I think they're looking for from you as a potential recruit is the ability to be able to weigh up the argument and research both sides and not come to like uh, some form of extreme view, especially on social media as well because... You know, if you are looking to join the police, your social media account could get trolled. And if they see extreme views on there, then you know what's going to happen, don't you? They're going to turn you down. So uh, I'll give you an example, actually, of, of someone who um, I was actually coaching them today. And uh, their name's Lewis. And uh, Lewis, I hope you're okay. I was doing some one-to-one coaching with him for his final interview. And the force he's going to requires him to do a presentation and the presentation is about the value of diversity and what it means to him and what it also means to the constabulary. So it's, it's quite a challenging 10 minute presentation. Now, the first version that he gave was basically just a lot of quotes uh, academic quotes, and quotes from chief constables, and quotes from the College of Policing. And it didn't actually tell me anything about his understanding, uh, but then he went one step further after our conversation and feedback, and he went away and he found things that were really topical going on in the police at this moment in time about representation, about Black Lives Matter, about Blue Lives Matter, and he's put together this outstanding presentation that is both challenging, um, structured well, uh, detailed, presents both sides of arguments. It it shows it's capable of seeing other people's points of view from standing in their shoes and thinking right what would it like to be that person that person demonstrating that police officer that person who dresses in a certain way because they are they fear getting stop and searched because of the way they look a really really good presentation and very very balanced and he comes across as someone who is incredibly open to change someone who um It's probably going to be very innovative as a police officer, someone who's reflecting on who they are and their attitudes and their values, and someone who's capable of uh, adapting to a change process. So folks, start thinking about what they're actually looking for in the recruitment process. And... You know, I know it's easy on Twitter and it's easy on Facebook and it's easy on social media just to come to the you know the view of the first thing that comes into your head. First thing that pops into your head, boom, there it goes. It's on social media, but it, it's there forever. So I've got to think about that as well because some of the views I've seen, you know, if the force vetting department gets hold of them, these are fails. These are people who will fail in the recruitment process because of the extreme views, and it's a sort of thing that you know, even if you are serving and you start posting some extreme views. There was a case just recently um, in the Met Police uh, where two officers took photographs of, uh, I think it was two two sisters that had been murdered and it was inappropriate and they shared them in an appropriate way and and they're probably going to go. I don't know, I can't say they are, but I would imagine that they're going to lose their jobs as a result of their behaviour. Now, because they shared... They shared these posts and they shared the photographs on various forms of social media. Other people are now caught up in this. And the people who are caught up in it are the people who didn't challenge the behaviour, stood back and sort of watched it, listened to it, but didn't do anything. It didn't do anything. And they're going to get caught up in it. So. Uh, or they made some of them might have made comments as well because it's easy to do so on social media so I did say I was going to talk to you about two things didn't I but I suppose it's uh, one the tale from the front line two the willingness to change and, and and be open to that change and consider different views and values and you're not always right you know that's the one thing I learned of my three decades of policing is that I wasn't always right I was often wrong but sticking rigidly to A particular point of view wouldn't actually get me anywhere wouldn't actually get me anywhere and would probably cause all sorts of angst and grief being able to roll with the change i think is a really important uh, value to have and then the third thing that's kind of rolled off all of this is the dangers of social media so i just urge, urge caution folks you know about what you put on social media because whether you're looking to join the police or once you are a police officer it's there forever it's a permanent record um you might be able to delete it but it's just hidden it's always going to be there someone might have screenshot it and that's it that could be a downfall and i'd hate that to happen just because of a momentary lapse of concentration where the first thing that popped into your head was the first thing that you wrote on someone's post anyway folks i hope that doesn't sound too too gloomy um it's the run up to christmas and i know for a lot of you you're going to be working hard over christmas uh, for those of you in the 999 services um i i just love you all the fact that you're out there um protecting us from harm at the moment and looking after our communities and looking after individuals and families and 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 looking after the the, the safety of our country it's just amazing what you're doing so the fact that a lot of you are going to be doing that over christmas i mean just awesome it's going to be one of the weirdest christmases ever um but the fact that you're doing this for us i think it's just incredible so i love you all i think you're all amazing And uh, kudos to all of you who want to join the police as well. And I hope my advice continues to be useful for you. Um, If you'd like to find out more about social media, (laughs) might have put you all off by now, you're all like cancelling your your, uh, different accounts, but if you'd like to find out a little bit more about the Facebook group that we have, where actually do you know very rarely does anyone's post get removed there's over fourteen thousand people in the facebook group you you find it by just going on facebook and looking at groups and looking for blue light and police recruitment so if you're just picking those three words blue light police recruitment it'll bring up the group ask to join us and come and take part in a conversation and Some amazing people there. When I was talking about these posts, by the way, I was talking about more posts, things like on a a Twitter or a Facebook page or individual accounts that I'd seen. The conversations that take place in the group are just awesome, actually. And rarely, 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 it's probably about once a month do we actually ban someone and remove them. And it's normally someone who's slipped through the cracks in terms of our own little vetting procedure to uh, let people in. So it's normally about once a month, maybe once every two months, then rarely does a post get removed and rarely does a comment get removed. So that just goes to show, doesn't it? 14,000 people who are open to change, who are open to different ideas. What a community. Fantastic. So come and join us. If you're not already a member of that community, come and join us. I look forward to seeing you in there. Uh, let's just see how we are for time. Uh, it's almost 20 minutes. It's time to go. So that's just about right time for a podcast, isn't it? Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Uh, next week will be the... Will it be the final one before Christmas? I don't know, I'll have to see what I can do to bring some Christmas cheer to the next podcast. So I'll catch up with you at the next one. Thanks for listening and bye-bye for now.